Again, even in that video, we live in a world where our lives are moving way too fast. And you realize when you ponder, you realize that technology has brought different categories to our lives that's considered normal. You know, I look at Facebook once a week, and I probably should look at it more, but how many years ago was it where you sat down in an evening and Facebook wasn't even a part of the deal? Facebook's only been really, it started 12 years ago, but it was about 10 years ago that it actually just began to get popular in that sense. But here's another hard truth. When we look at our schedules and and we complain, the realization that all of us have 24 hours in a day. No one has 26, no one has 12. Everybody's got 24 hours a day, and we choose to fill those time slots up with all kinds of different options. And, and we choose to fill them up with something. Now, I'm hoping to fill a waking hour this afternoon with a nap sometime, and hopefully that will work out. But as I pondered this art 2016, and you think, how, we kind of snicker at that video, and you go, that is true. I, I go, what's the difference you know, I, I'm over 60, so I, I, you, you reminisce back and you go, was it really like that back then? And, and here's the thing that I think is different. Today, we have far more options than ever before, don't we? 30 years ago, there were far fewer things to choose from. 30 years ago, you know, now, now we've got to recognize, even go back 30 years, um, I remember workaholics who couldn't stay couldn't stay at home. They had to work or put work in at home, and they'd, it would hurt their marriage and their family time. I remember 20 years ago, even though we didn't have the options and we didn't have the DVRs, but I remember 20 years ago of people running home to, they couldn't schedule Tuesday night out because they had to be at a TV show. Remember, they couldn't record it back then, so you had to actually sit and and schedule that evening out in front of a TV. But far more options in 2017. And I think the options just themselves is one of the reasons why the stress level has gone up in people's lives. I, I think you go back 40 years ago. When I was raised, began to have a thinking about a family, and and some of you, for example, do homeschooling. It wasn't even on a family's radar 40 years ago, really. If you go back 40 years ago, understand this, that organized basketball and hockey for a five-year-old wasn't even an option. It wasn't an option. You know, I, I was thinking back, I started baseball in fifth grade, and the only way I could do it was I had to ride bike three and a half miles one way in order to play organized baseball. I didn't start basketball and football until seventh grade. And and when do they start these days? A lot younger than that. See, there's more options, and I I think particularly for families in the elementary kids' age, and it's just kind of staggering. And on top of that, the average work week has actually increased for people. See, the reality, I think today's world provides more options, and you have to admit many of them are good. But I think it begs an important question. 
If you're following along in the sermon notes, this key question I, I think we have to ask ourselves, can we say that the options are moving us toward Christ and his kingdom? Now, again, I've got to come back. Some of these options are not evil. Some of the options can be good and they're wholesome. But you understand, last week as we jumped in and we talk about making room in our lives, and especially for the incarnation, God becoming man, um, when we make room in our schedules, how do we decide those things, especially and ask the question, what does God desire for us? And I think one of the challenges in this idea of making room, creating margin, is we we got to push back at this. And, and I'm going to be honest with you. At times, I, I can feel like I'm going, I'm making you guys feel guilty with, with all that's going on. And, and I'm feeling making myself feel guilty, actually, as well. But again, guilt isn't the goal. The, the goal is to stop and at least ask, God, what do you want? I think that has to be where we start. But last Sunday, we, we looked at this idea of make room for generosity. And at the heart of generosity is really opening our lives to be responding to the needs of other people. It's about giving of our money, our time, our possessions, our talents. All of those areas really are a reflection of other-centeredness versus a self-centeredness. And I think scriptures are pretty clear. Life is to be more than about my family and my marriage and my time. Now, I, I wish I could have emphasized this more last week, and I just want to remind you of this. Generosity, by the way, I really believe it's an act of worship. And, it, and it's a place where when we are generous with money or time or possessions, God can use us and, and we become a conduit of God's grace to other people. And, and he's the one that's doing it through us. And I really believe that. But I have to dig on one more issue, just a little more. I hinted at it last week. And, and the, the understand, it, it, understand it's this issue of wisdom. Because when you hear the word wisdom and how do you schedule your time, wisdom has to go with making room in our lives. But here's what we got to realize. There are two constructs of wisdom. Two. And you don't have this in the notes, but the first one is this. There's one type of wisdom that we have to say this. It's wisdom that comes from the world. And it's, understand, it's not evil. It can be very rational. It can even make good sense. And, and frankly, at times it's needed. But there is, biblically speaking, a second type of wisdom. And number two, it's this. It's wisdom that comes from God. Sometimes they can be the same. But many times, i got to tell you this, they are miles apart. Wisdom from God may not equal wisdom in our world at all. And, and I want to give you an example, and I know I've gone after this issue to challenge in the past, but, but think of it this way. When you think of the activities that our children and our grandchildren are involved in, and you, and you make these, these statements are made, and I hear them all the time, you know what, it's really good mentally or physically for our kids 
And you understand, I, I've been involved in lots of sports. I was a sportsaholic back growing up. And, and, and I look back and go, you know what? I learned discipline. I learned teamwork. You learn about relationships and develop in relationships and the benefit of that. But understand what I just framed those last, this last minute about those good things. You understand that is the construct of earthly wisdom. Football was a wonderful thing for me. Teamwork, physical discipline, that part was great for me. But as I moved on, I played a little college football. And you know what? Football also exposed me to other things in college that were not so good. One of the parties I went to, a football gathering, there were brownies there. Now, some of you laugh and you know what I'm talking about. Others go, what is he talking about, a brownie? You're going to have to ask somebody that's a little bit younger, okay, in terms of what that means. But see, when we think about the options that we have, too often I think what we do is we run it through worldly wisdom and it's easy to forget to put the lens of biblical godly wisdom on top of it. See, do we remember the spiritual lens in our options? Are we naive enough to believe that the decisions and options, even in a worldly wisdom where it says good, 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 actually might have long-term spiritual detrimental issues to it? Let me throw out an example again. I think I used this three, four years ago in a parenting series. Um, my son Andy played high school basketball, and he went on to play four years of college ball. And, but he, it was a reality that I know and he knows this is that, you know what, he could have been a much better basketball player if he would have taken more hours out of the week and concentrated on playing more basketball. He would have been better if we would have taken him to the leagues in Minneapolis. And he could have gone down there. But understand this, putting in the extra hours into basketball meant that other hours were subtracted in something else. Do we know that, realize that? You can't keep adding something in one area and not having it impact another area of our lives. And for him, if you would have put much more hours into basketball, he would have been better. But guess what? I really believe this, and it would have hurt him in the spiritual realm. I think it would have been hard, harder for him to develop spiritually. Now, again, here's a challenge. If there's teenagers here today, when I look at the activities of basketball, hockey, gymnastics, all the clubs that are here, now, you've got to hear me carefully. These activities doesn't mean that they will limit your spiritual development toward Christ. And I, I believe this, that those activities can actually benefit one's walk toward Christ. But you must, at the very minimum, stop and ask the question. And parents, you've got to help your students at this question. And ask this question, is it hurting? Or at the minimum, holding back my spiritual movement toward Jesus? That is putting spiritual wisdom on it. 
And see, that is part of the challenge in our lives. Every time we add something to our lives, it's impacting. But do we take and say, is it impacting my spiritual world moving toward Christ? And I think this, and parents, for you that are parents here today, I I think this is true and different than it was 30 years ago for for myself and, and us that are a little bit older. The, the pathway of navigating with our children, that road is much narrower today than it was 30 years ago because of all the options that are out there and the pressure that's getting put on our children as to when to get involved and what degree to be a part of those things. See, this issue of wisdom is so important in our lives And I want to put up a verse on the screen. I used it last week real quickly, but again, I want to bring it back because this is the critical, I think, passage for us. Look at how Paul writes Ephesians chapter 5. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Be very careful then. How you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. I think we can be certain here that this text is not pointing to earthly wisdom. And when it talks about opportunity, that is not choices. That is the spiritual realm. And what this passage is saying is that there is a spiritual wisdom to our lives that we must live with. So do we stop and take a really hard look at the choices that we make in multiple areas of our lives? Whether you could be single, you could be married, you can have a family, it applies all across the board. And do we consider the long-term consequences of choosing the options And it might apply to our families, our marriages, but do we consider the future spiritually in making those choices? Uh, Another way to say it is this. Are we making room for that which is okay and good, but not for that which is the best spiritually? See, are we personally bonded with Christ? And does the Holy Spirit and the Word of God speak to us with clarity here? I want to put a question on the screen here. It's not on your notes, but I think this is something that I've observed to be true. Are we mistaking earthly wisdom, believing that it is the voice of the Holy Spirit? And I think it happens often. See, make room. We must acknowledge that God has desires for our lives as we live in this world. And now I've got to throw you another question because make room for another area. And I believe this question is centered on God's will for our lives and the choices that we make. The question, are we making room for strangers in our lives? Again, you're going, what are you, strangers? And here's how I define a stranger. Anyone who runs outside of our severe of influence and really the groups that we hang with. 
Could be church, could be family, it could go wider than that. But you, you hear this question, we go, listen, Ken, I don't even have time to navigate the friends I know. How in the world am I going to make time for strangers? And so maybe the temptation here today is kind of put your hands near and go, la, 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 I'm not going to hear this today. You know, Christmas, again, you start a week or so before Thanksgiving and head through the holidays after the first of the year. It is the probably the busiest time of the year. When you think of our calendars and the family events that fill it up and and I don't, but I don't know if you realize this, is that Christmas is also the loneliest time of the year for people. The loneliest time. And I think this statement is true as I pondered it. I think from before Thanksgiving to after the first of the year, I think it is the greatest opportunity in a season to actually be a conduit of God's love. And we're busy. And we're busy. But if you are a follower of Christ, I'm convinced this, that you desire deep within you, there's a desire to be a conduit of God's grace. Again, along with Paul, I would go, thank you for your generosity for those baskets. It's unbelievable. But I would say this, God wants more than just generosity in our finances. A group of called the, a nonprofit group called the Samaritans did a study, and they found that one in six people for this time of the year, it is the absolute worst time of the year. And near a quarter of the people they surveyed believed that problems of they felt worse during the Christmas season, 25 percent. And I came across this. Psychology Today actually writes on this season. It says it gave it gave five reasons why people often feel extra depressed at Christmas time. And here's here's their five: the excessive commercialization of Christmas. And you go, Amen. Excessive self-reflection and ponderings about the inadequacies of life. People pause enough to go, My life's just now working. I can't handle it. I, they're struggling. This self-reflection actually puts pressure on them. Number three, the pressure to spend a lot of money on gifts and incur increasing debt. Yeah, that's pressure. Number four, the expectation for social gatherings with family, friends, and acquaintances that they'd rather not spend time with. The, the events. Then uh, I felt pressure. We, we can't make a big family Christmas event this year. Because of the timing of it. Number five, the loss of loved ones this time of the year. And jobs puts great stress on families as well. But also we need to remember this loneliness really isn't just about the holiday as well. Because we live in a, a world where people are becoming more isolated. Especially relationally. And people studying this issue more and more, the studies point that chronic loneliness has actually the chance to increase early death. Matter of fact, the research is pointing out that profound loneliness actually increases your, your chance of early death the same as being overweight and just under poverty as the reason for early death. Make room for a stranger. Leave room for someone that can be a part of our lives and where God can 
help us be a conduit into their life. See, but at the heart of this, i got to give you a word here. It's biblical hospitality. See, the word hospitality, we, can, we equate that with fellowship. Those are two different concepts again. Fellowship is when Christians get together and friends get together and they're relating to each other. Biblical hospitality has to do with strangers. And let me show you a text here that points this as God wanting and desiring to use us in this issue. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 9. And he gives a whole series of, first of all, these of, of what God wants our heart to be in a number of areas. Look at verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Talk about a list of characters at that point. And then verse 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Now let me show you the Greek word for this word here, because a lot of people don't catch this. It's philonexia, and it has two parts. The phileo part is the affections, but that word xenos or xenia is a stranger. So literally, hospitality means love of strangers when you put that two together. And it's not just, a understand, a one-time act. In, in this Romans text, that word seek there, the way it's written in the Greek, it doesn't do it once and you've checked it off. Continue to seek, continue to seek time after time. So let me give you the first application point, I think, in this for our lives as we make room for strangers. Loving strangers is not an option. It is to be a character trait. It frankly is an issue that reveals our hearts. And the level to where we really are maybe at with God. I don't know if you know, if you realize this, it actually is listed as one of the quick character qualities of an elder in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. Let me show you another verse as well in terms of pointing this hospitality out. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4. Look at verse 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling as each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as a good stewards of God's very grace. You catch here that Peter includes that phrase, do this without grumbling. And, and now I understand what that means is not this, I'm just going to suck it up and do it. No. This isn't either a command to just fill a quota. Oh, I did it once this month and that's good to go. Now I think this passage points to God's desire to us to become a different kind of person that loves strangers. To have a character quality that doesn't resent being hospitable to strangers. Again, it comes back to our heart and our motives. Looking out for people that we don't know 
and then we give care and love. Folks, that is a character quality. It's not a checkoff quality. Matter of fact, you know, if you're a teenager here, I go, you're not exempt from this quality as well. If you just look around and the degree of the kids that are sitting alone or they don't have friends in a school, well, you got to be on the watch. You can make a difference in this area. But for all of us, it's about becoming this kind of person that's taking the time. It's one of the options that God is saying, this is my will. Hospitality is my will. And not grumbling means that, you know what, the extra dishes or the bedding, it isn't a bother at all. See, this is about allowing a stranger, again, into our lives who don't run in our circle of friendships. But do you realize that hospitality is also centered with last week's sermon as well on generosity. Let me put the application number two. Leaving room for strangers will cost time and money. Now, I've got to dig a little bit because there's some history behind this word of hospitality as well. Biblical hospitality actually, from you look at a deeper level in the Bible, it's actually two different classes of people. It was one, it was the, 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 the travelers of the day, but it was also the resident aliens of that day amongst the culture of people. For the traveler back then, I don't know if you realize that there was no holiday inns. There was very few inns. There were no super eights along the road. There was no holiday stations and stations to stop and get a drink and a cold water and snacks. And on top of that, there was back back then there was lots of robbers that when you would travel there you had to be careful in terms of robbers. But understand this: for a person to travel any kind of a distance, they depended on people's hospitality which would cost them time and money and bring people into their lives to help them out and to serve them. But then there was also the aliens of the culture of that day. It was the people that were the non-Jews. It was the people that were living in the country that who was going to befriend them? Who was going to reach out to them? Matter of fact, if you, I don't have the text, but God points out that remember you were once aliens. Remember in Egypt, you were once aliens. Remember this now. Practice hospitality. See, this is a hard topic, I think, for us in our day. Matter of fact, I found a quote. It's pretty hard, firm here. Look how it reads there. Hospitality is an important biblical virtue. Giving oneself to the care of people means sharing one's life and home with others. An open home is a sign of an open heart and a loving, sacrificial, serving spirit. A lack of hospitality is a sure sign of selfish, lifeless, loveless Christianity. Hospitality is a tangible, outward display of godly character. Hardly anything is more characteristic of Christian love than hospitality. Though the ministry of hospitality, we share the things we value most. Family, home, financial resources, food, how about this one, privacy, and time. In other words, we share our lives. See, an open home, a hope in life, for people that don't run in our circle, it displays the love of Christ in a profound way. 
And it literally sets love in motion. And we can become a conduit for Christ at those times. But let me give you some of the benefits of opening our lives to strangers. Look at a couple of them here. It creates opportunities for relationships. You might become good friends with these people. Discipleship, evangelism. But another one as well, it creates a context for modeling to the stranger our faith in they can watch your marriage, they can watch your parenting, they can watch they can see multitude of, of, of virtues that are in your life as you get to know people. Another one here, if you have a family, it models to your children the reality of Christ's love that you have for Christ. Now here's, again, the tension. Old school, when you hear hospitality, we think of the person who gives lots of Christmas or lots of, um, invites a lot of people over into the home. But again, that isn't hospitality. That's fellowship. You know, in the act of cooking meals for church friends or friends in general, it is a gracious thing. It's not wrong at all. Matter of fact, I think it's becoming a lost art. But that is not biblical hospitality. Hospitality is reaching out and showing brotherly love with people that don't run in our circles. But let me show you one more passage. Very pointed. And this is one of a parable where Jesus is talking about the end is coming and there's going to be a time of judgment and separation of God's people and and other people. And so it's a great banquet illustration. Look what it reads here. I'll pick it up in verse 12. Jesus is speaking here. He said also to the man who invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you into your home and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. From that text, there's another benefit. I don't know if you realize this, that last, that fourth one there, you will be blessed and rewarded. Now, the reward may not be coming till we enter eternity, but it's clear that Jesus, yeah, we got our family, we got our friends, but the question is, Jesus saying, but how about those people that don't know me, that need me? Now, here's where we need to get practical, just the last couple of minutes here. You'll see on the back of your bulletin there, you need to look at that, and I'm not going to put it on the screen at all, but there's some table talk questions. And if you're a family or as, even as an individual, these would mean discuss it. Take some time with your kids and, and go through these questions. Faith and Steve are helping on these again. And how about just taking today or sometime one meal this week and just wrestle through some of those questions as a family? But again, one of the nuances, we've we got to throw away the idea that practicing hospitality is always about a clean house, a glamorous table settings, and picture-perfect food. Hospitality is about serving people. It's servanthood. 
It's about loving others and making strangers feel special. And I, I think we need ideas. You know, I, I think it's easy to get stuck in our family bubble and our friends bubble and our church family bubble. So what I did here is we went through and we just listed some of the ideas here for you. How about hosting a foreign exchange student? There's a stranger. How about offering next fall to rent a room in your home to an ICC student? Open up your life to a stranger. How about throwing an after-holiday party for your neighborhood? How about offering to have a missionary in your home when they come into town? How about delivering cookies to people this year that you do not know? Volunteer opportunities at the Grace House. The Community Cafe, I, I put the website there if you want to check that out and give some time. I know some of you do that. How about a hospice volunteer? Loving a stranger that's in their last days on this earth. Elder Circle. This next one, become a volunteer for Bridges Mentoring. It, it's where they're lining up adults with, with kids. And Sarah called this week for me, and they actually have 17 kids on a waiting list right now. 17. You can come a crisis nursery nursery home. Hosting your kids' sports team, year-end party. Do you understand the multiple ways we just, I think at times we just lack creativity, or we lack actually slowing down and saying, okay, God, what could we do? to invite strangers into our lives. You know, God needs to change us. I think maybe to get even to that point. So I came across this week in my study some questions where a guy wrote some things about self-reflection and hospitality. And let me just read you. There on the back of the bullets again. What would others say? Would others say that, that we're hospitable? When was the last time you invited someone into your home in which you do not know well? Do others come to you when they need help or do you give the impression that you don't want to be bothered? Is your family intentional about welcoming others into your home, even if they're different from you or if you, they make you feel awkward and uncomfortable? Why do you fear welcoming others into your life and your home? That's a hard one, isn't it? What promises has God given to you that you can cling to for hope, peace, and assurance that it's the right thing to do? See, see ultimately, loving strangers is to, to a great degree about trusting God. And maybe there's one first step that we need to begin with. And that next bullet's there. It's how, how about we just stop and pray? And here's some ideas there. I pray that you would fill me with the Spirit so that my life bears fruit through loving deed toward others that I don't know. How about if we pray that we would hold loosely to our home and our food, our time, and that we realize that, God, it belongs to you, and that we would be stewards, spiritually wise stewards of that. And pray for boldness to welcome others as you have welcomed, as he has welcomed us. The last one, I pray that the motivation of my heart would be that. Through loving others, I might express the love of Christ, that God would change our hearts 
And the interesting thing there is the result of that, I think, is that last joy and freedom in hospitality. It's not a burden. We don't do it begrudgingly or out of duty. It's we know that God loves us so much and that other people need his love. Make room for a stranger. Open our hands. Open our hearts. Open our doors. Open our lives. Let's stand and pray.